Dr. Isaac, dial zero. The Brent Community Healthcare System presents Hospital Insider, the podcast. Your host is Gary Chalk, the retired director of public affairs for the Brandt Community Healthcare System, a newspaper columnist, and former radio broadcaster. The podcast features conversations with members of the medical staff, the caregivers, volunteers, the leadership team, and donors of the Brantford General Hospital and the Willett Hospital in Paris. Listening to Hospital Insider, the podcast, will inform and educate you about hospital care. So please share this podcast with your family and friends and encourage them to subscribe as well. Remember, if it has to do with hospital care in Brantford, Paris, and throughout Brant County, we will talk about it on Hospital Insider, the podcast. Hello, my guest today is Dr. Tom Sockax, an infectious disease specialist with the Brant Community Healthcare System. Tom studied medicine at McMaster University over in Hamilton, then went on to complete his internal medicine residency at the University of Ottawa. That was back in 2005. And right away, he left the country, went down to Lima, Peru, where he studied clinical tropical medicine. And wouldn't you know it, as soon as he came back to Canada a year later, what was he doing? Medical director for the Halton Travel Clinic and also a consultant with the Kitchener-Waterloo Travel Health Clinic. He's provided on-site infectious disease consultation for inmates at the Maplehurst Correctional Facility and was an infectious disease specialist at the Oakville Trafalgar Memorial Hospital. It was back in 2010 when I first met Tom. He came to work alongside Dr. Ross Penny at the Brandt Community Health Care System. And today he provides both inpatient consultation and a general infectious disease outpatient clinic. And on top of all of this, He provides hepatitis C consultation for more than 70 clinics across Canada through the Ontario Telemedicine Network. Tom, thanks for joining us on the Hospital Insider, the podcast. Honored to be here. Thank you. You are a very busy physician. Let's begin. I think everybody has an opinion or a feeling. They think they know what a doctor does and what the life of a physician is. And they base it all on watching Grey's Anatomy. Is that anywhere near the truth? I couldn't really tell you because, to be honest, I never watch any medical shows. (laughs) Uh, I I felt like I lived it every day, so I didn't really want to watch it when I went home. Uh, I think there was a lot less making out in uh, back corridors than uh, probably happens in the the TV show. Uh, But uh, there's certainly a lot of excitement, yeah. Yes. Let's talk about home and growing up. Where were you uh, born and raised? So I was born and raised in uh, Mississauga. My uh, parents were uh, immigrants who came over from Hungary and met here in Canada and set up life in Mississauga. They were both teachers in uh, high school. And uh, yeah, I had a young interest in uh, medicine and uh, pursued it throughout my life. I remember Tom one time we were talking a few weeks ago for the uh, newspaper column, Hospital Insider. And you talked about uh, a project and I think you said it was in high school where you sort of thought, hmm, maybe I will be a physician. It's funny how life just works itself out in in retrospect. So uh, in my grade 13 year in high school, we had to do a project on anything in biology. And for some reason I had read about uh, a cohort of prostitutes in Africa who they are unable to get infected with HIV because they lack a certain receptor, which the virus uses to get into the T cells that uh, actually are the site of the infection. And so I thought that was fascinating that there are people who are immune to this. And I talked about it in my paper that wouldn't it be great if we came up with a drug that could actually target that. And it turns out that there are drugs now that block that uh, receptor entry. And, uh, and then later on in my first year in university, I met someone whose father was an infectious diseases specialist. I'd never even heard of that before. 
And I thought that sounded like a, a really interesting career. I'd never heard of it. And then I met finally my, my, my great mentor, Dr. Ross Penny, uh, and he was my first tutor in uh, medical school and introduced me to infectious diseases. And so I guess in retrospect, it just looked meant to be. And I believe you are still good friends with, with Ross. And he was instrumental in recruiting you, I assume, to the uh, Brantford General Hospital. Ross was very kind to keep uh, tabs on me over the years. And uh, yeah, I see him uh, every couple of weeks. Uh, he was over at my daughter's birthday party the other day, so we're very close. Ross and Lorna are good friends and uh, great people, and uh, he certainly made an impact. When he Ross arrived in Brantford back in the days of SARS, uh, I recall we, we hired him to come in through that, uh, that time period, and he enjoyed it so much he decided to uh, come to Brantford, and everybody, everybody was the winner as a result of it. What does an infectious disease specialist do? Well, I, <clears throat> I've caught a few episodes of the show House, and I, I think that's... If people might not know, but Dr. House is an infectious diseases specialist. And so it's a, it's a different specialty unto itself. We don't really have a procedure that we do. So we're not specifically cutting out things or scoping things. Uh, our job is to play detective and try to figure out if a person has an infection, where it might be, what bacteria or infectious agent it might be and what's the best treatment for it. And, and it really requires a lot of detective work and piecing together little puzzles and sometimes little bits of information in the patient's history or on their exam or in their blood work it leads to the answer. So it's kind of fun if you're interested in being a detective at heart. So as a uh, detective physician, what are the type or patients that you'll be seeing when they come to the Brantford General? Well, you can divide it up into your bread and butter kind of stuff. So the most common thing I see are skin infections, just regular uh, skin infections that are maybe a little more complicated, a little more difficult to treat. Often uh, diabetics develop these kinds of infections and sometimes they get bone infections. So that's a pretty typical one. Uh, we'll see people with pneumonia and of course very ill people in the ICU who have very complicated infections, people with things like meningitis or heart infections. And once in a while I get to throw in my tropical medicine background and uh, we see people with malaria or dengue or other kinds of exotic infections. What was your interest in tropical medicine and that background that led you to Lima, Peru? Well, I, I remember when I was choosing a field in medicine and I thought about, uh, I, had, I, I thought about doing five or six different things to be honest. And I thought, well, what is the most mundane thing I'll see every day and how boring is that to me? And in infectious diseases, that's seeing skin infections. And to be honest, I like doing it because I can see them get better. And on the flip side, I thought, well, what is the most exciting thing that I could see? And how exciting is that? And I think there's nothing more exciting in all of medicine than some of the unusual tropical diseases that uh, are out there. So I thought it was a great chance to go out and uh, see some of them. So many Canadians, snowbirds, they're about to head south if they haven't already whether it's Florida or somewhere in the Caribbean, Mexico or whatever. Any general tips you would provide to people that they should be aware of when they're traveling to those climates or even preventative before they go? Well, first of all, don't listen to the travel agent. Uh, they'll always tell you that there's nothing of any concern in that area. I think there's some areas where it's fairly obvious there's not a lot of risk, like Florida, but we often don't, uh, well, we take for granted the fact that Canada is such a safe country in terms of these infections and uh, most of the world doesn't enjoy that safety. And so uh, there are travel clinics that are a good idea to go to if you're going on any kind of exotic trip. 
because um, there are some nasty infections you really wouldn't want to come back with. We're recording this episode of Hospital Insider, the podcast in mid-October and across North America. People's attention is starting to turn to the annual flu that seems to come around. And I know there are advertisements and uh, pharmacists and physicians are talking about uh, the flu. What exactly is the flu? Well, the influenza is just a type of virus and it has its own uh, predispositions and things it likes to do. Uh, most of the time, it's not when people say they have a stomach flu, uh, that's not the flu. So sometimes people get upset stomach, but often that's a different kind of virus. It's usually a pretty significant infection with fevers, really bad muscle aches. People feel really terrible. And that's if you're just a young person. Uh, if you're an older person and vulnerable or younger children and vulnerable, then you can end up with much more severe complications like hospitalizations, uh, going to an intensive care unit, or even some people die, of course. I think that Many of us probably play down the flu. We're not going to get it. Or we become sick with something like Norwalk, and all of a sudden we think we have the flu, but we're not down and out the way you describe a, a patient who's suffering from the flu, correct? Yeah, that's right. I think everybody's affected differently. So some people might get milder symptoms, but uh, I remember once seeing a patient, he was a 20 something year old bodybuilder and he was crawled up in his fetal position, uh, calling for his mother. He was in so much pain from the flu. It's, it's not a typical kind of uh, little upset stomach. It can be very uncomfortable. I was looking at some stats, Tom, and they said in Canada last year, 12,000 uh, individuals were diagnosed with the flu. 3,500 people died. Uh, in Brantford, the, the uh, Brant Community Healthcare System stats say that 136 patients tested positive for influenza. Many others did have the flu, but recovered at home. When should they come to the hospital or see a physician or to a to a walk-in clinic? Yeah, there. The advice there really depends on the individual, of course. So I think a lot of people will be exposed to the flu, and that 136 that you describe are just the ones that we tested who were admitted to hospital. So it's very much the tip of the iceberg there many thousands more that get sick and don't need to end up in hospital. But I think if it's somebody who is failing at home, uh, particularly the elderly, and they're becoming progressively weak, some people can become confused, suffer falls, uh, then those are definitely reasons to come into hospital. Anybody uh, whose breathing becomes quite labored, also a very good reason because you can get a pretty nasty pneumonia from it too. So prevention is key, obviously. What, what should we be doing to prevent from coming down with this nasty bug? Lots of common sense things. Uh, so you want to be sure you're washing your hands very diligently, and that's, that's probably one of the best things you can do to prevent the flu. Uh, people touch objects everywhere in our lives, and we're not aware of it, and you can pick things up just through random contact. So washing your hands is really very important. Uh, getting the, the vaccine for yourself is very important uh, as well. And, I know the vaccine sometimes gets a bad rap when it wasn't a good match one year, uh, or maybe the next year it is and people still don't have faith. It's the best that protection that we can offer people today. And it's uh, about a 50% match during a typical year. And that's 50% protection that you didn't have before you got that needle. Uh, also remember that you can protect other people from getting the flu uh, by getting it yourself. So in, if you live in a household with very vulnerable people, uh, elderly parents or very small children, uh, we can try to cocoon them by making sure that all of the 
family members get vaccinated so that even though the vaccine isn't 100% perfect, the likelihood of the vulnerable person getting sick if everyone around them has been vaccinated becomes significantly less. I understand that the vaccine that uh, is developed and produced for North America is based on the influenza season that precedes us down in Australia. Can you talk about that a little bit and how, how that's developed? The current vaccine <clears throat> is a bit of a slow process to produce. It takes about six months and the vaccine is produced in chick embryos. And essentially they take the virus uh, after growth in these chick embryos and they'll break it down into multiple pieces and select out the pieces that they want to include in the actual vaccine. And so you don't have a, uh, with the exception of one live uh, weakened uh, vaccine, most of them, it just contains pieces of the virus. And so you can't actually get the flu from those shots. It would be impossible. Uh, and so it, we make our best guess as to which viruses will circulate in our area but you have to do it about six months in advance. And these viruses, they have a great propensity to mutate and change. And so what was happening in one area may not happen in another. The virus may be slightly different and the effectiveness is slightly less. And so you know, the other end of the extreme here is things like the common cold. So say the rhinovirus, where there is no vaccine for it because it mutates so rapidly we just cannot produce a vaccine. So you might say, why don't we have a vaccine for the common cold? Well, that's why. So influenza, we can produce it, but it is still a virus that mutates rapidly. And so it's difficult to nail it down every time. Thought you had a nice analogy when we were speaking previously about comparing receiving the flu shot versus installing a uh, an airbag in your vehicle. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, sure. If, if what are the odds that this season you're going to get into a a car accident. Well, it's not that high. I don't know the numbers, but it's not that high. And what are the odds that you're going to get into a fatal car accident? Again, it's not that high. But if I said to you, we have this new device called an airbag, I don't know, what, 25 years ago, uh, and said this might save your life, most of us would say that's great. Let's, I would love to have that device, and we all do in our cars now. And so the if you do get into a car accident and a little fender bender, you wouldn't blame it on the airbag, right? And if you did happen to have a severe accident and you, you know, had a terrible outcome, again, we wouldn't necessarily blame the airbag, but you might fairly ask, is the airbag as good as it can be? And that's the question that scientists are asking still is, uh, can we make this vaccine better? But I, but I do think it's a protection afforded to you that you don't otherwise have. You mentioned that much of your work as an infectious disease specialist is uh, playing detective. And I know that uh, one of the, the tools in your, your, your toolbox, your physician's bag this year for patients and those coming to the Brantford General Hospital is a new piece of equipment up in the laboratory, a $50,000 tool that's going to help you do what for those who may have the flu? For a lot of years, uh, we saw patients with viruses and I labeled them a an SSV, some sort of virus. I didn't know what kind of virus because I couldn't do the testing, uh, but I knew it was one. Now we have this new machine and with these swabs within, generally we'll be able to get results for most people within a few hours. We'll be able to at least test for eight or nine different viruses that tend to cause upper respiratory tract infections. And so we can get an answer quickly to know exactly what's going on. And that way uh, we know how best to treat people, 
and we don't want to have people in isolation needlessly in hospitals either and so we'll be able to discontinue those kinds of isolations quicker and we're always better off knowing what's actually going on and that test helps us to do that. Time will uh, be reduced significantly. I recall, I think you said last year, these tests would take perhaps three or four days for results. And what is it now going to be this year? We're hoping in the middle of the season to have it down to about three to four hours for everybody. I'd like it that uh, even before you leave the eMERGE, uh, we'll have a result uh, before you, you come to the wards. And as I said at the outset, Tom provides extensive uh, consultation to more than 70 clinics throughout Ontario and also provides off-site support to the Timmins District Hospital. How does telemedicine work that allows you to provide your expertise to patients and other organizations miles away? It works amazingly well for the right situation. So for hepatitis C, uh, the nature of the work is that I can get most of the blood work I need and get most of the history I need from the patient and I don't necessarily have to lay hands on them to actually examine them in a detailed way as you do with some of the hospitalized patients. And so a lot of these patients are in far off remote places in uh, Thunder Bay or Long Lac or Kenora, and they don't have access to a specialist there. And the family doctors are not comfortable treating things like hepatitis C there. And so this is a great way to bring the care to the patients. And so it, the encounters become very much like a regular encounter. I'm in front of a screen and I talk to the patient who's in front of a screen. I can look through all their blood work and prescribe the medications and follow up with them just as I normally would. Brantford and Brant County, along with many other communities, is uh, suffering from, uh, I don't know if epidemic is the correct word, but uh, high instance of uh, opioid. And uh, I think that you probably have some interaction with these patients when they arrive in hospitals? Yeah, myself and my partner, Dr. Glavin, we see a, a very high volume of infections and in injection drug users. Anytime you're poking your skin, you're allowing a portal of entry for bacteria into your bloodstream. And some of these uh, drugs, they actually damage the valves in the heart just by some of the constituents of the drug. And it ends up making the valve surface of the, of the heart valves uh, rough. And it becomes easier to set up an infection on top of these valves. And so actually across North America, uh, there are reports of increasing rates of heart infections in drug users, and so we see that. Uh, we certainly see some of the complicated uh, flesh-eating type infections in that population as well. So it, it's certainly a big part of our practice. I think one of the uh, benefits for listeners of Hospital Insider, the podcast, is they'll get an opportunity to hear from the experts in healthcare, and specifically here in Brantford. That's important, but what I thought we would do is set aside your professional life, and I'm going to put you on the spot, Tom, and learn about you away from the hospital. I know you're a golfer. I think you uh, ride bikes as well? Yeah? Bicycles. Bicycles, <laughs> yes. So let's have a quick round of something we call this and that. I'll put you on the spot and we'll see what you think. What season do you enjoy more, wintertime or summer? Summer. Why is that? I can do everything outside and there's no snowblower involved. <laughs> do you drink coffee or tea? Coffee. Hortons or Starbucks? Starbucks. Would I see you working out of the gym or would you most likely be at home watching television? I work out often in, my, in a gym in my basement. Do you read books or do you go to movies? I read books. I occasionally go to movies. What type of books do you enjoy? Oh, my wife hates them. I love science fiction, uh, space odyssey adventures. Any particular author? Ken Lozito is a terrific author. I love his stuff. Hugh Howey, a terrific author as well. 
What's on the bucket list? Travel, more experiences. I think uh, life's all about experiences. So uh, I'd love to travel more and uh, see more and do more. I'm assuming if you had the opportunity to do it over again, you'd become a physician specializing in infectious disease. But if you couldn't be a doctor, what would we be see Tom doing? Wow. I wanted to be a doctor since I was five, so that's a tough one. Uh, if I had unlimited talent, maybe I'd be a musician, but I just have none. <laughs> so uh, probably an engineer. I like fixing things. There's a, a common thread, isn't there? But there's a lot of physicians that I have met over the years that have an engineering either background, an engineering degree, or an interest in engineering. Why is, why is that? Medicine, uh, there's, a, there's an approach to it, and over time we begin to quickly recognize where the problem lies, and we have an innate desire to fix the problem. And engineers do a similar kind of thing. They find uh, problems and design solutions towards those and work towards those, and that's, that's what we do too. Tom, in closing, let's talk a little bit about the infection control team. I know that uh, at the, uh, the Brantford General, you're one of many faces that patients would see. There are a lot of talented and dedicated people behind the scene in the laboratory, up on the sixth floor there, or working through the hospital. It's quite an extensive uh, operation, isn't it? It is a team effort. Uh, they're keeping a hospital running and healthy uh, from an infection control point of view requires a lot of uh, involvement on different committees, keeping an eye on what's happening and a pulse on what's happening. And keeping up to date with what's out there because there's always new bacteria and new things that are emerging that we need to be aware of. Tom, thanks for joining us today on Hospital Insider, the podcast. You've been a great guest. We've only scratched the surface. I think we should do it once again sometime. Thank you. Love to come back. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Hospital Insider, the podcast, a presentation of the Brandt Community Healthcare System. Hospital Insider, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting forum. Please press subscribe, and you will always be up to date with Hospital Insider, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please pass it along to your friends. Encourage them to subscribe as well. It's appreciated. In two weeks, we'll return with a new episode of Hospital Insider, the podcast with Gary Chalk. Thank you for listening. I'm Sandy Bishop.